TRP is a theologically progressive Baptist church in Salisbury, Maryland. This is our podcast. Just a note for this podcast, at uh, one point Josh becomes overcome with emotion, much like Jesus in the temple turning tables, and um, uses language not suitable for little ears. I don't know about y'all, but this gets me going. The Oh Hellos, brand new, 10-year reissue one of the classic EPs of all time. The best. I think it's self-titled, isn't it? Let me check that. I don't know. Yeah, it's a self-titled EP, and they've released the single, the lead single off of that EP, Hello, My Old Heart. Completely altered the harmonies. They did. I'm trying to follow them, and I can't. It's tough. I can't harmonize anyway. You know that. I, I do know that. But we're taking a break from our Christmas music because this is absolutely beautiful. It is. I love these guys so much. Okay, I'm going to fade them out, though. Ooh, nice fade. Thanks. And I sounded like a, like a string section there. For sound like an angel. An angel on strings. <laughs> that was me. A harp, if you will. Welcome to the TRP Podcast. Thank we you. are... Coming live from Jude's old bedroom, and we've got a couple of announcements here that we need to talk about just J-O-B. Before, before we get into it. Jude's old bedroom. Oh, I thought I thought we were like jobs, <laughs> jobs. We do have a job. Oh, we do. We're still looking for a kids director, and we're almost thinking this person is going to be a unicorn because what we are wanting is top notch. Progressive theology, good with kids, thoughtful and creative. Which young and the, hip. No, on I'm just the kidding. Eastern Shore, that combination is hard to find. It's not. It's not. It 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 isn't because the people don't exist, but it is proving to be difficult to attract someone. I think to this position because we're so cool. I know, it's just intimidating, I guess. I don't know. But if you know somebody or you are somebody who might be interested in hanging out with some cool kids, there's only like nine of them. And they're really fun. Two of them are my own. I'm, you know, what's the word? Biased. Thank you. Yes, I'm biased Both towards them. they are them. really fun. They're, they're good kids, smart kids. Okay, so we got that going. But we also have next weekend, December... 11th, 11th, we will be outside on the plaza, downtown SBY. Boom. Next to Parker Place, across the street from Roadie Joe's, at 5 p.m., we will be doing Christmas beer and Christmas hymns. Oh, come let us adore him. With a brew. Oh, come let us adore him with a tasty porter. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ. You're not supposed to follow me. I was going to do the harmony. <laughs> well, you might think we've already been drinking. We haven't. Just I'm, caffeine. Yeah, I'm just working on my... Just coffee. My homemade, what do you have in there? I got a homemade cortado. Mm. You know, I finally reached the... Uh, one of the, the plateaus of life where I've always wanted to be able to go into a place and they know what I want, you know, like a, like a diner. It's like, oh, Josh is here. You want your like stack Luke's of pancakes, diner. you know? Yeah. No, you keep bringing up these shows that I don't watch. That doesn't mean that it's not going to connect with the people. Okay. Well, 
drop a comment below if you're a huge fan of Gilmore Girls. Yeah, I'm blanking on what that. What's her name? Lorelai. No, her real name. No idea. Sarah. Nope, that's her name on Parenthood. That's Lauren tough. Graham. That's right. Nice job. Good. Thank point. you. I had to go through two of her characters first. But. Anyway, what I'm saying is, when I go into the College Avenue Rise Up, they know what's up. Before twelve, they're like, "Oh, you want your cortado." I think some of them also know I don't drink cortados in the afternoon. I go to the sweetness, the sugary sweetness of mm. the iced oat milk latte. Mm-hmm. With, with caramel? A, with a little caramel. I used to go half caramel, but then I was like, who, who am I kidding? I'm here to enjoy this world, and half of a flavor is not going to do it for me. So, mm. But yes, I'm drinking my homemade oat milk cortad. Nice. Uh, with Actually, we've, we are not using Revel Roast... Uh, this week, a friend of Kate's went to Richmond, and Richmond is an awesome town. We love going there for two or three days because the food, the drink, um, the coffee as well. There's a, a shop called Blanchard's, and man, it's good. Is it run by a 95-year-old woman? Named Blanchard? Yeah. No. <laughs> That w- that they should. Actually, the last time we were there, somebody was there on roller skates. Oh, <laughs> so, good. So you know. You never know what you're going to see in Richmond. You never do. I, I forget if she was a customer or if she like brought us our drinks on, on skates. roller skates? That would Either be way, impressive. I mean, she had, she had beverages, hot beverages with roller skates. I was like, oh my gosh. Wow. It was interesting. Um, yes, but Blanchard's, if you're in Richmond, you should go. They do an excellent latte. So we're we're currently sipping on some of the holiday flavors from Blanchard's because Kate's friend was running a, a marathon or a half marathon there a couple weeks ago. I will give a shout out though to Revel Roasters because he is being featured sort of at another local establishment. Um Burnish. Whew. I was I was, like, I was blanking. I, I think my brain is not doing well. We'll see how this goes over the course of the podcast. Get more girls and burnish. Burnish over on Naylor Mill Road. How long is his beer there for? Is it Pro- gone now? Probably until it runs out. Um, and they, oh. they did a very small batch. And it's very tasty. It was really good. It was very tasty. I'm not usually big on stouts. Was it a porter or a stout? It was a, st- it was a, it was a coffee was a- milk stout. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't really get, I didn't get a lot of the milkiness because now they're doing a lot of these lactose, not Burnish in particular, but a bunch of different companies are doing lactose beers and Mm -hmm. that's just not, that's not my thing. I like them, but anyway, it was called Storm of the Bones. That sounds right. And that's a very Josh. Do we know why that's, it was called that? Okay, great. I'm going to go on record and say that brewery names for beers now are just ridiculous storm of the bones yes i'll have the she didn't love him but she tried (laughs) double ipa it's like what are we doing here i'll be here forever and ever and ever and ever ipa yes (laughs) just ridiculousness okay all right so anyway we'll be we'll be um december 11th drinking beer singing christmas songs we've got full band we're gonna have hopefully we're gonna have some fire pits um free beers we would love for you to register yes so that we know how much beer to purchase it would be a real pity if a bunch of people showed up that we didn't know we're gonna be there and then we didn't have enough beer yeah i'm like sorry dude you know 
uh, maybe our associate minister can turn this water into a double IPA. That would be magical. Yeah, magical. You know, did you get the Jesus reference there? I did. Thank you excellent. for, nice. for explaining that That's to excellent. me, mansplaining it. You know, I do, I do what I can from time to time. Okay, so December 11th, 5 o'clock. We're doing it early because it's supposed to be like mid-50s that day. Oh. I mean, now. Who knows what that'll turn into over the next... Right, they can only really predict over, over five days. I don't so. even know what they can do. But we'll be there. meteorology in college. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. Yep. <laughs> I was just having images of Tessa in front of a green screen saying, we've got a cold front coming through the northeast here. I wasn't here. training to be a weather woman. We were <laughs> oh, that, studying meteorology. How good would that be? Just flipping on WMDT and weather girl Tessa. Would it be good? I think it'd be funny. You would have some cool, funny graphics. Some zingers. Oh. Yeah. I think you'd be like, it's raining cats and dogs. And you'd have like an umbrella and like graphic There would be cats. props. Yeah, props are involved. Yeah. Jeez, December 11th, yes. 5 p.m., across the street from Rody Joe's, next to Parker Place. We'll be outside singing some songs. Come bring your children. Come hang out with us. Bring, they can't have beer, but bring, you your know, children. bring them anyway. Yep. Also, we're having a Christmas Eve service in person at 4 o'clock. We're in between two locations at the moment. We're trying to figure out where we need to be and what we need to do, but we do have options and we will be somewhere on December 24th if you would like to join us if you're not a church going person but you want to celebrate Christmas Eve in a pretty traditional way mm-hmm. um it's a family service in the sense of kids are in the space we would love to incorporate them we haven't really worked out all the details yet but we got no child care so it's bring your whole crew and if it gets loud it gets loud We'll light some candles, we'll sing Silent Night and pray that the wax doesn't drip on our hands, mm-hmm. and we'll read a bunch of Bible verses about sweet little baby Jesus, eight pound, six ounce, laying there in his ghost manger bed, and then we'll go home to festivities. Did you say ghost manger? It's from Talladega Nights, Oh. you know, and every time, like, I've wondered, why do they say ghost manger? I guess... But that's that's the quote. Ghost so I've been saying it for years now. We also have um, a thing that we've done the last, well, just last year, I guess. This is a pandemic-induced uh, event. It's called Merry Christmas Theater, and it is our take on Mystery Science Theater, where we pick what could be the most atrocious Christmas movies of all time, and we watch them together on Netflix, and then we talk trash about them on our uh, social media platform called Slack. Yeah. This year we've got some doozies coming up, but Tessa, I just I wanted to read. I've I've taken some uh, descriptions from some oh, Christmas good. movies, and yes. I just want to maybe go over some of them and their their potential inclusion here. This one's called Never Too Late for Christmas, and <laughs> it's about Rebecca. She's a businesswoman who mm-hmm. has she's let go of her joy of Christmas. Oh, no. She's trying to secure her next big deal and promotion to executive vice president before the end of the year. Wait, let me guess. Does she move to a small town? When she's on assignment to a remote town. Yes. Who does she meet? <laughs> um, uh, the, the town loner who's very handsome and 
does she carpentry. She meets the handsome Knew it. widower. <gasps> oh, well, really okay. up in the ante. Yeah. Widower John, owner of the Holly and Ivy Inn, which is named after his two daughters. Holly and Ivy. And it's not long. Yeah. Can we just pause there? What are we doing? Does he? He must love Christmas. I. He must. Rebecca, though, she doesn't. But it's not long before her all-business exterior mm. begins to thaw it's as she finds down. her Christmas spirit returning just in time. And the man brings back the Christmas spirit? I guess he does. Yep. John, owner of the Holly and Ivy Inn. That's never his too late for Christmas. His name is John, and his kids' names are Holly and Ivy. Yeah, he should be named, like, Chris. Yeah. Or Kringle. Nick. All right, this one, this one's, this one's good. This one's called Enchanted Christmas. Ooh, These are all Hallmark movies, by the way. Weeks before Christmas, interior designer mm. Laura is sent. Where she sent to a small town to her hometown, her and hometown. it's actually not small. She's sent back to her hometown of Santa Fe, New Mexico, to remodel a landmark hotel. Okay, wait, let me guess. Does she meet up with someone she used to know in like high school or elementary school or something? No. Oh. No. The, as Laura is kept busy with the renovations, her eight-year-old daughter, Nicole, plot twist. Oh. Nicole is introduced to the art of salsa dancing at a local oh. dance studio. <laughs> I did not now, see that but, coming. But now where is it going? Is the dance instructor a handsome man? Yes, and his name is <laughs> Ricardo. Laura <laughs> oh, no. is surprised to find that the studio's owner is Ricardo, who happens to be her old high school sweetheart <gasps> and her former salsa dance partner. Oh, so many wow. layers. So, so many. many. So many things. So I was kind of right. You were, and actually I had forgotten that, that that connection was still there. I just thought it was a random guy. But when Laura and Ricardo reconnect, obviously sparks fly on and off the dance floor. Oh, boy. The beautiful Christmas traditions of New Mexico become the backdrop for this spirited dancing and unexpected romance. Wow. Lots of turquoise. A lot of stuff. Now, I, this, this one's going to, we, we went really high with number two. Okay, <laughs> little uh, Nicole salsa dancing like her mom. Oish. Yeah. This one's called Magical Christmas Ornaments. Oh, no. It's got a little sci-fi to it. Oh. A book editor, Marie, had always adored Christmas, but that love faded when her marriage ended on Christmas Eve Shocker, another ago. single woman. Okay, but also, but also, I take a lot of heat. Because at one point in my life, there was a, a breakup that happened around Valentine's Day, right? Uh -huh. But a mat. Th this is a woman's marriage ending on Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, let's just wait. Can we wait a couple more days? You know, I... exchange the presents. Like, were there children involved? Does she have kids? I don't remember. I don't think so, though. I mean, that makes it a little bit better. But now she hates Christmas. Of course. And to rekindle her love of the season, her mom sends a family Christmas ornament every day. Now, it doesn't say when she starts this. And I'm very curious. Is this like in January? Has, does she like receive 300? How many of these ornaments? Wow. We'll have to watch to find out. Maybe. Uh, and 
she starts decorating, Marie starts decorating her tree and she feels her spirits lift with each ornament, it says. Mm -hmm. And though she's still limiting her seasonal festivities, Marie reads to children at a hospital, obviously. Yeah. Where she meets an attractive nurse named Nate. Mm, Naturally. Marie is delighted when she gets to work with her favorite author on his new children's book. I don't know where this is coming (gasps) from. This is like... Wait, wait, wait. Oh, a side note. She's an editor. This is going to be a a love triangle? (laughs) Maybe. She's also happily organizing a book drive with Nate. Yeah, okay, so she's working with the book author. Yeah. And she's working with Nate. Uh. And maybe mom's ornaments are magical after all. Because she has two options I don't know. instead of zero. <laughs> she then jeopardizes her job when she refuses to edit her ex-husband's book. Oh. Uh, lots of layers. Lots and of then, books. <laughs> and then she starts to feel rather negative again until her mom reminds her that magic isn't inside the ornaments. Mm, it's inside of her. It's inside of her. Yep. Oh, wow. magical Christmas <laughs> ornaments. Beautiful story. Now that. Would be some... I can't wait to see who she picks. Would be some fodder for some witty banter, mm. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, excellent. So we've got Beer and Hymns on the 11th. We've got Christmas Eve service, obviously, on the 24th at 4. And we've got Merry Christmas Theater. This week, we'll be kicking it off with the Princess Switch 3. Three Vanessa Hudgenses. Yes. Hudgenses. Yes. <laughs> Three different wigs. We watched The Princess Switch 1 last year. I don't think we caught up with two. Oh. So we're going to switch. We should probably watch the second one. No, I I don't think we're going to be losing I might watch it on my own time. (laughs) I'll probably watch it tomorrow. That's great. I mean today. Okay. So we got a lot of Christmassy things going on, which is going to be a weird contrast to what we're talking about this week with our first installment of Advent. way into this let's let's continue with some frivolity here a few weeks ago when we were recording some of our christmas tunes over at community of joy arthur who is our uh director our our videographer you could say of of those videos and also one of our resident film buffs trp attracts a number of very opinionated people when it comes to the entertainment world. This is true. Arthur happens to be one of those. He's a he's a film guy. And he was asking me the other day if there were any non-Christmas movies that I like to watch around Christmas time. The, the classic example, I've, I've seen it in little side conversations on Facebook at least three or four times in the last three or four days, is Die Hard. Have you seen Die Hard? I've never seen Die Hard. See, you're in that weird age range where you would have been way too young to see it did it come out 88 i think i was negative three yeah so you weren't even born um and that's that's just not something that i could see norm saying to six-year-old tessa hey there was this movie a few years ago you've got to see it you've got to see this does he watch action movies he does but he would not have been showing it what what is die hard rated it's rated r yeah no (laughs) (laughs) no okay so die hard is this classic example of it's not really a Christmas movie. It is set during a Christmas party for Bruce Willis's ex-wife, uh, 
separated wife, wife on the rocks. I forget. They're they're not in a wife good. They're, on the rocks. they're not in a good place. Is that a cocktail? No. And he goes to her Christmas party for some reason. Um, and then what happens there is he ends up in a bloodstained tank top, crawling through ventilation shafts, trying to thwart the evil Hans Gruber's attempted takeover of the Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. Whoa. Still, irrational movie enthusiasts, they love arguing about whether the film should be included on the official list of classic Christmas movies. What are you putting on the classic Christmas movie list? It's a Wonderful Life. Never seen it. Oh, it's so good. What? I just thought I'd get more blowback from that. Oh. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that you've never seen it. Okay. It just seems like such a downer. It's not. You okay. have to... It, mm, it's so good. Susie's never seen it either. Well, let's, let's arrange it. she feels it. weird about black and white movies. I get that. I feel real weird about black and white movies now. You know what I mean? Like as an artistic Like the artist? Decision. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, Mank just came out. It's a David Fincher movie that just came out um, last year. Yeah, that kind of stuff. It's just... Wah. Do you feel this way about antique stores? I don't like antique stores. Okay, because Susie f- said that antique stores and black and white movies make her feel itchy. See, maybe this is like... I don't listen to James Taylor because it's immediately depressing. You know? Mm. Or it's like there's just something about his voice, his tones, his hauntingly beautiful guitar. I was like, oh, I just get to a really dark place real fast. I don't know why. I love James Taylor. I know. But like maybe for Susie, it's like that takes her back to an era she doesn't want to go. Maybe. So anyway, yep. <laughs> it's a wonderful life. I would put Home Alone on that list. Oh, yeah. Uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, clearly. A Christmas Story. A Christmas Carol with Patrick Stewart is my favorite one. Uh, I haven't seen that version, I don't think. Mm. He did it as a one-man show on Broadway, I think. That sounds like something he'd do. Mm-hmm. Did he do it as Captain Picard? That would be as... magical. Yeah. But no. Are you going to put... The the Princess Switch one on the list. You've you've already seen one. Yeah. Do you think it was that good? No. Okay. Well, for me, it's right. It's borderline. Oh it's, wow! It's, it's, it's right up there. there. It's almost there. I mean, that is a re. I don't like rewatching things, but to me, that is a rewatchable movie because it's so atrocious. Oh. You know well, what I mean? That that to me is a different category. I don't put. Movies that are purpose well, not purposefully bad, but no, like some are purposefully bad. You think like so? Sharknado, absolutely. Oh well, yeah. You know, like those kind of campy. Yeah, but kitschy. Princess Switch, I don't think is in that category. I mean, is I it? think I think all of the Hallmark genre type movie, they all know that this is the most ridiculous. I mean, when Nicole's dance weird... teacher Ricardo, who happened to be, it's it's like so. It's sort of in the. It feels like like romance novels that are purposely not that I read G-rated, romance G rated yes romance it, yeah it's like I really want to get the the blood flowing by watching this unlikely slash very predictable yeah. romance unfold mm-hmm. yeah so I mean that's that's the the vein here 
Um, and I think we could go beyond movies into non-Christmassy things. For me, it's a lot of food, non-Christmassy food that just really puts me in the holiday spirit. Like what? Well, soup? <laughs> well, Xena, yes, soup. Yeah. Um, on Christmas Eve, mom makes five or six different kinds of soups. I do love soup. I know. So we, we just go over there and we eat a bunch of soup and clam dip and like just mm. weird things. And like Zena was saying on Sunday, there's always a cheese ball. And she's so right. I love cheese balls. Same. But I'm not getting one in the middle of the summer. No. But, you know, early December. It is, Starting yeah. to get cold. A Very little port, port wine cheese. We usually make ours. Whoa. Yeah. How do you make a cheese ball? Food processor. Blue cheese. No, I forget lost what kind me. of cheese. Cannot do blue cheese. I love Will blue not cheese. blue do. Okay. Will not. Will not blue do blue, blue cheese. cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yep. exactly. Uh, yeah, but for us, there's a lot of food things that, that are involved. Um, glass bottle Cokes. Mm. The fried shrimp basket at Dumpsers. Dairyland. That's a Christmas thing? Well, it's tied because our family always goes to the Winterfest of Lights mm. and in Ocean City. And then mm. afterwards, we go to Dumpster's Dairyland. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So there's a tie there. Yeah. But again, like if I got that basket in June, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be at Dumpster's in June. No, no chance. But if I was there, it'd be like, oh, this is Christmassy. Oh. Yeah. That's, that's nice. I think so, yeah. Do you, do you guys have in the Stoltz family any... Non Christmassy Christmas traditions. I can't think of anything that's non Christmassy. I feel like most of the stuff that we do is very much. Although we do have, we usually have with my dad a last minute mall trip yes. where he gives my sister and I a pair of earrings every year. So we'll go to Macy's and we'll kind of walk around a little bit and then he'll tell us to go away and then he picks a pair of earrings. Um, and we usually get like... Um, Are they awful? Like, no. Ha- has he ever gotten something where he's like, I know I just went out on a limb this year, girls, and comes in with these like puka shell, dangly puka no. shell. So he usually has me help him with Emma's and Emma helps him Maybe with one year mine. just say, you know what, Norm, just... Just go bold. Just go all you. I just want to see what you come up with. You think he'd do that? Like, you don't need the help. Yeah. Just see what he's got. I think he'd be pretty... He picked out a nice pair of earrings for my mom for her birthday. Yeah. Kate does not really do jewelry. Mm -hmm. About as jewelry as it gets is new running watches. Mm. So, so (laughs) in one sense, I've kind of lucked out there. I feel like she, she likes studs. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Very, very Geometric. simple Yep. Little, little circles, mm-hmm. little flashes of brass, <laughs> m- muted brass. Okay. Uh. Well, that that's great. The reason why I'm talking about non-Christmassy things that are associated with Christmas is because Advent is not Christmassy. Yeah. That's wild, isn't it? Yeah, I had never heard that until this year. The reason why this is true is because the lectionary, again, this this resource that 
many different denominations and churches use throughout the entire year. They're, they have these assigned passages. And Tessa, if you were putting the lectionary together and you got four weeks going into Christmas, what are some of the passages that you might want to include there? You know, little little baby Jesus. Yep. Um, wise men. Yep. Um, the, uh, oh my gosh, the census. Yep. What, you know. What, why? A, what a great sermon that would be. All right, today we're talking about the census. And I don't know if you remember this, but a couple years ago we filled out our census cards. And we I sure just did. want to make that tie yep. here. Yep. Make that tie. Um, yeah, you'd be talking about all the things that show up in Christmas pageants. Mm-hmm. Not so with the lectionary. In fact, this is where we were on Sunday. And this is true. The lectionary has three different cycles, A, B, and C. And on the first week of Advent, which again is is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve and Christmas, I actually don't know, this is a piece of trivia that nobody's going to care about, but if Christmas Eve was on a Sunday, I'm not sure if that would be week four of Advent or if week four would be the prior week and then Christmas Eve would be its own thing. I'm sort of feeling like it would Christmas Eve is its own thing, but I'm not entirely certain, and let's not get bogged down in that. So Advent is the the four Sundays prior to at least Christmas, maybe Christmas Eve, I'm not too sure, and every year in A, B, or C, the first week is super insane, like apocalyptic, Mm -hmm. a lot of images that are not the things that you would put on a family Christmas card. Christmas really makes me think of the end of the world. Right. So we're in Luke 21, and this is from from verse 5 on in Luke 21. There's this sort of discourse where Jesus is talking about impending persecution, the fall of Jerusalem, which will take place uh, in 70 CE, so, you know, 30, uh, well, close close to 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jerusalem is going to be crushed by Rome. And this shows up a lot in the, the biblical text. Jesus is often talking about what Jerusalem has, you know, coming down the pike, which is also interesting because when we read some of these passages, sometimes... What scholars think is is being discussed is the impending fall of Jerusalem, not the end of the world. But in Luke 21, we get a little bit of impending persecution, uh, like what's what's it going to be like for followers of Jesus? We get a little bit of the fall of Jerusalem and what what the Roman powers are going to do to this famed city, like the the seedbed of Jerusalem religiosity in in Israel at the time, and then we get a little bit of the end of the world, like this apocalyptic craziness. And it says, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the seas and the waves. People will faint from Fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. I'm flashing back to your Advent art from last year. It's got the picture of the donkey, and it says, fear not. Yeah. (laughs) 
people will faint <laughs> from fear and foreboding. Verse 27, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud. I should say here, too, that this whole deal with the signs and the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth distress among nations, like this is all Old Testament echoes, like just all over the place. There's list upon list of Old Testament prophetic texts where the author is pulling from here. Same with verse 27, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud. This is Daniel language. And I'll tell you right now, Daniel is a tough book. Daniel is the last book of the Old Testament that is believed to be written, maybe even like in the second century BC. Like it is, it's late. I'm talking 200-ish years before Jesus late. So what it's doing is very different than what other books are doing because it's tapping into this apocalyptic literature. It's like it's its own genre where these things are are happening and being described in certain ways that I can't really unpack for us much beyond that. That would take a little bit of study and it's sort of it definitely is beyond my expertise. But it's not, I can tell you this much, it's not uh Daniel and other apocalyptic texts are not saying here's all the things that are going to happen before the end happens. You know, like some people kind of are in their mom's basement with a bunch of charts and they're trying to plot out like, okay, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And, and Daniel seems to be talking about this, this oil deal in the mid East. And this thing from Ezekiel's talking about Russia. And it's, it's crazy. Like, like the, it's the Charlie day meme from it's always sunny where he's got all the stuff behind him. Mm-hmm. And he's like looking like a crazy conspiracy theorist. <laughs> that's what these people are in their mom's basement trying to figure out when the end is going to show up. Meanwhile, doing what else? Nothing? Just figuring it out. (laughs) Well, there are like some communities, and we might get into this a little bit later. uh, Like, how long ago was it? Maybe maybe three or four years ago, uh, there was this guy named Harold Camping, Mm -hmm. who was a radio guy, um, and you would call in, I forget what his show was called, Open Something. You would call in with any random Bible question that you have. And you would hear him like rummaging through his King James Bible and he would answer these questions on live radio, on AM radio. Uh-huh. But he was this type of person, charts, end of the world. Like he was reading the sign, the tea leaves in Ezekiel and Daniel and trying to figure out what this world event meant for you know current moments and when that would usher in Jesus' return. So he actually told all of his followers that Jesus was going to come back on this specific day. I, f- I feel like it might have been as long ago as, as 2013. But I mean, he took out huge ads in like the New York Times and basically said, sell everything because this is the end. It's happening. And a whole bunch of his people did that, like sold their homes, sold their stuff, like what? got got on the road and started riding around in like those billboard cars that with that same sort of ad, like on this day in 2013, Jesus is going to show up. So you better be ready. May 21st, 2011. Okay. That was off. Well, actually that date was wrong. So then they had to do their math again. October 21st, 2011. Okay. So <laughs> I, I knew, I knew it wasn't 
just one. It was like, oh, he that had was previously claimed that the rapture would occur in September 1994. Yeah, and and there was there was books like 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Back in 1988. So there's all kinds of stuff that's happening with people. Could you imagine? Like, I feel like I take heat in a sermon. Like if I'm just wrong about a verb tense in the Greek, you know what I mean? Can you imagine those saying something as insane as the the world will end on this day? What do you do the next day? You're like, I, uh, uh, hide. Hey, hey yeah, sorry about that, guys. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, this, what I had meant to say was. This says in March 2012, Camping humbly acknowledged in a letter to family radio listeners that he had been mistaken, that the attempt to predict a date was sinful, and that critics had been right in pointing to the scriptural text of that day and our knoweth no man. The most obvious, like, <laughs> okay, so like this guy, you call up and you listen to him spout off all these answers. And there's a very obvious text, like read it again, of this day and time. Of that day and hour knoweth no man. Yep. There we go. Don't you think that one would maybe hold a little sway when people are in the basement trying to figure things out? And it says specifically like, oh, by the way, nobody knows when this is going to happen. Which is also so frustrating when people show up on Facebook. I saw this last week and it's like, oh, the... The end is here because of these things, you know? And then they go on to say, like, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Okay, well, when was that not a thing? You know, like, as as soon as humanity evolved and started interacting on the world, there's probably some in, some violent overtones there. Yeah. It's always been a thing and will always be a thing, so stop trying to read the tea leaves. Okay, so ba- they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud. This is the whole point about this is apocalyptic literature. It's not really meant to be, um, I would say, predicted in a literal sense where you're trying to track the the patterns of the moon and when Jesus will eventually show up. Also, little known fact, N.T. Wright thinks that this text is often mistranslated from from Daniel. It I think it shows up in Daniel at least 9 and 11, maybe in 7 as well. But this the son of man coming in a cloud, he thinks that's actually a movement upward, hmm. not a descent down. And what NT Wright goes on to say is when Jesus shows up at the end, there will be no um King Jesus in the sky descending, you know, which any evangelical kid who went to Sunday school has that image, maybe from a flannel graph, maybe from something that's like at at the end when Jesus shows up again, he's going to sort of just hover Mm -hmm. and descend. N.T. Wright says instead, it's like a veil will be opened and Jesus will sort of part <laughs> peekaboo. Yes. So like you're like just picture your, yourself standing in the park. He's coming from another dimension. And he he opens up the fourth it's dimension <laughs> and puts his head through. It's like, oh hey. <laughs> Which if you've seen the movie Interstellar, this is what he's talking about. Hmm. You know, Matthew McConaughey behind the bookshelf trying to talk to his kid and at some point he's gonna come through the bookshelf and be like 
oh, hey, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Terrible impression of Matthew McConaughey, but man, I would love it if this is true and Jesus pops through and he says just to me, all right, all right, all right, <laughs> and has like a Cadillac or Lincoln behind him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, let's get into the Lincoln. That would be excellent. Okay, so the, it says, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads. This is important. Luke is saying through Jesus, you should not be afraid of this. This is a good thing because, quote, your redemption is drawing near. So he's talking about the second coming of Jesus in a positive way, not in a fear-inducing way. But we've got signs in the sun, moon, stars, there's distress on the earth, people are fainting from fear and foreboding, but not the people of, of God, note. This is a different, there's like a separation here. The powers of heavens will be shaken, then they're going to see the Son of Man coming in a cloud or peeking through the fourth dimension, co- coming through a bookshelf, you know? Like Here's you're at the library Johnny. and you just, you take off one volume and Jesus is behind it, that sort of thing. Oh, and, and wow. When, yeah, no, I'm just, these images are really coming to me now. <laughs> It's just flowing. And now when these things begin to take place, stand up, raise your heads. This is a good thing. Your redemption is drawing near. And then Jesus goes into a parable. Look at the fig tree. Jesus is always messing with fig trees. You know? Figs are kind of Christmassy. Figs are gross. Figgy pudding. No, they're not. Fig Newtons. I I have to have a fruit-flavored Fig Newton. Oh, no. I can't have just a fig-flavored Fig Newton. I love the classic Fig Newton. Ugh. Delicious. You don't want to know something that's sad? Sure. I went to the Holy Land in 2006, 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. My palate had not really developed fully. Oh, boy. Do you know what I ate while in Israel? I'm worried. So whenever we would get on... dogs. Whenever we would get on the bus, um, like... They would pack lunches for us, and it would be like, you know, Mediterranean-type stuff, good Mm, stuff. But mm -hmm. they also brought peanut butter. Oh, no. So I put peanut butter in a pita, and there was this little restaurant where I went, and I could could get French fries. It's like I was not exploring the space, (laughs) and I feel so— You got to go back. I do, because I love a lot of these flavors. Now, Mm -hmm. some—I still don't like grape leaves— I still don't like figs, but good grief, like so much beautiful, like falafel. Can you imagine? Mm. I remember being in Bethlehem and there was this little falafel cart and the guy was like, you're going to want some of these falafel. And I don't think I had any, you know, it's like, That's what so am I sad. I know. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this at dinner the other day because uh, my nephew, who's like 16 or 17, is still in that stage of he'll like he'll eat chicken fingers yeah. or cheeseburgers but yeah. nothing else it's like what are you doing but i guess i was like that a little bit hmm. now i'm a very adventurous eater yes <laughs> as they say and i'm i'm 40 so i finally <laughs> arrived but i still don't like figs they're gross but jesus is always talking about these fig trees and they usually have these sort of um apocalyptic or eschatological overtones like Look at this fig tree. It's going to tell us something about the end of the world or about upcoming judgment, okay? So he says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves. 
and you know that summer is already near. So he's talking about how you can sense the seasons because of how a tree is presenting itself. So also, when you see these things taking place, the stuff that he has just talked about, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, he says. He loves to say that. I know. This is, and this is the New Revised Standard Version's version of verily, verily, I say unto you. Classic King James uh, language. In the Greek, it would be amen, amen, lego. My ego. Lego. <laughs> Lego means I say. So, amen, amen. Is ego a great grank word? Uh, yeah, ego means I. Lego my I. So you could say ego Lego Egg. <laughs> as like I, emphasis on I say to you. Because in oh, wow. in the Greek, we'll go here. We'll go okay. here because I don't get to talk All about right. it too, too much. In the, in the Greek language, you don't need to have a subject specified. Lego by itself means I say, Mm -hmm. like the person and the number is embedded in the form of the verb. So when you have a subject in the text, it's almost like pay attention to the subject of the verb. Hmm. So ego Lego is I say. Wow. Because it's like I, I say. But it could, you know. Just Lego means I say. Anyway, amen, amen, Lego. This generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. This is a problematic passage because Jesus is talking about the end of the world. And yet he says this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. So some people think Jesus was wrong because lots of generations have passed away and this stuff has not come to be hmm. the end of the world, like the Son of Man descending on the clouds or ascending or peeking through the park, you know? Yeah. So people say, well, maybe he's talking about the fall of Jerusalem. Yeah, uh, he, he is at times. Not here. He's talked about that in the in the passages leading up to this. This is, in in my best take, pretty clearly focused on second coming of Jesus stuff. Uh, I got a commentary here that tries to help us along. Uh, This is Joel Green, and he says, this generation refers in Luke's narrative not to a set number of decades or to people living at such and such a time, but to people who stubbornly turn their backs on the divine purpose. So this generation then is not a chronological marker it's a description of the type of people. Hmm. Like these people who are against ugh, against us or antagonistic towards us, they're always going to be here. They're not going to pass away. They're never going to cease to exist. These types of people. Maybe, maybe Joel, I don't know. Um, but you got to do something with it. Either Jesus was wrong which I know is going to make some people go, you know? Wow, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or um, he's not talking about the end. So Jesus is wrong, but we got to make Jesus right somehow. So we'll make him be referring to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, which, which did happen. 
Isn't it possible that we just don't understand what Jesus was saying? Or that, yeah, or we have no idea. Uh, I'll come back to that in a second. We could also go the Joel Green route and say, this generation isn't talking about chronology, it's talking about types of people. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Joel, Joel's a really smart guy. He knows a lot. I've never called him by his first name before, but you know, me and Joel. JG? We go, we go way back. J, JBG. Oh. Joel B. Green. Oh. He's that kind of a scholar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you. Got to flex. Well, okay. The only <laughs> the only reason why I include the T in my name, you know, when I'm out writing, yeah. writing books and such, yes. is because of the folk artist oh. Joshua James. Yeah, I don't want fair. people thinking that he is both better than me at the guitar and singing and also writing <laughs> theological works. Like, I got to be doing something. Yeah. So, Joshua T, get out of here. Mm-hmm. I will say as well that um, I really enjoy buying Joshua James t-shirts from the music artist. As you as you should. And wearing them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Or you could go the route that you're talking about, which was maybe we don't know what in the world's going on here. I just think that we use that card a lot to get out of difficult issues. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it doesn't help anybody. If you say like, well, the Lord's wisdom is so much beyond ours. That's code for, you don't know what you're talking about. A lot of times. Now, is it a true statement that the Lord's wisdom is much beyond ours? Yes, I believe so. Mm -hmm. But the way that Christians use that more often than not is a get out of jail free card for doing the hard work of trying to figure out what in the world's happening. Hmm. Okay, good. That's I'll I'll take I mean, okay. I'll, I'll take that. Verse 33, <laughs> heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And then he gets into uh, some more specific teaching. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day catch you unexpectedly. Don't let that happen. Be on your guard. Don't uh, let the day catch you like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the earth. And then he says, be alert at all times, praying that you might have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, Tessa, all of that taken together, when you hear that from the signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth distressing and the roaring of the seas and the waves and the people fainting from fear and foreboding and the fig tree signs and the generations not passing away and the make sure you're not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life and pray that you might escape all this stuff. Does that not enliven your Christmas spirit? Minus the um, figs. I'm going to say it does not enliven my Christmas well, spirit. Well, I'm glad that I didn't even think about figs and Christmas. So there is a tie. Figgy pudding. There is a tie here. And maybe when the, the lectionary people were putting this together, they thought, figgy pudding, bro. Let's get <laughs> it sure in. I'm sure that's exactly Let's what happened. Let's get that in. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, these images, all told, are terrifying. Mm-hmm confusing yes and ready for a joke yep even less christmasy than bruce willis's bloody tank top didn't (laughs) i thought that was good but definitely yeah it's true now here's the thing that's the point because we aren't supposed to be christmasy 
in Advent. Advent means coming. So Advent is teaching us to wait with anticipation for the two comings of Jesus, the first one clearly being his his birth. And that's why, on the one hand, throughout the, the lectionary cycle here of these four weeks, you get a lot of stories about John the Baptist. You did the kids' message mm-hmm. last week. It was about the the impending birth of John the Baptist. This is how like some of the Gospels set the stage for Jesus. First, you got to bring the forerunner, JB, JTB, mm-hmm. on, the, on the stage to set the stage for Jesus. First, we got to get this other guy onto, onto the world's map. And there's a lot of Old Testament texts that talk about, you know, the one who will come before Jesus. So we get a lot of these stories about John the Baptist. We get a lot of crazy stories about John the Baptist later in his life, right? My former uh, muse for Halloween uh-huh. costume as a seven-year-old, like, give me an animal pelt. Give me a belt. Did you eat locusts? Give me locust and honey. I want to be, I want to embody John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing I'm totally not traumatized. Normal kid thing well, I told to you do. that that same year, I mean, we only went across the street to my grandparents' house and then down the road to my aunt and uncle's house. Every Halloween? Yeah, that was it. We didn't oh. li- we didn't live in a So you were dressing up for their benefit. <laughs> we were dressing up so they could give us some candy. Uh-huh. That same year, I believe, this is probably my mind playing tricks on me, but Erica, my sister, one year put on a pair of gray nylons, like mm-hmm. gray see-through nylons, a turtleneck, and then painted whiskers on her face, and she went as a mouse. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so, you know, like, you got you got John the Baptist, and you got a nylon-wearing <laughs> nine-year-old who's put lipstick on her face so she looks like a mouse. Mm-hmm. My relatives had to be like, what is our son slash brother doing to his children they will never be okay yikes we turned out okay yeah okay relatively speaking um but yeah we get a lot about john the baptist in the in the wilderness preparing the way baptizing jesus uh, and we also get some of this uh, the angelic announcements to mary about the fact that she's going to give birth not just to jesus but to the savior of the entire cosmos like all of these passages they're um preparing the way for the stories of jesus and his birth at christmas these are also all the stories about the coming of the kingdom which i've been thinking about this a little bit i think that's missed in a lot of christmas settings you know, think about like a Christmas pageant. Mm-hmm. It's cute. You get a little girl to play the role of Mary. You get your sister to play Christmas mouse. You get you get Erica with her see-through nylons somewhere. Yeah, it, it's all like cutesy cute, and it's not necessarily apocalyptic. I'm going to go ahead and say it's definitely not apocalyptic. I just wish that, you know, like TRP, uh, we did a, kids story a few years ago and it was about um tiglath pileser the third and the impending assyrian destruction 
of Judah. <laughs> because that that sets the context for the virgin birth passage in Isaiah 7. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about the lights in the world and how the lights are going out, but you know, God says a light is coming. So like how cool would it be if TRP could put on a kids performance that was like there will be signs in the sun and the moon. Like it was apocalyptic and dark. It was like a Cormac McCarthy adaptation the of the road. Intense. <laughs> but also it would be right. That's the thing. Yeah. We get so much bad information from Christmas pageants. How many wise men were there, Tessa? Well, the Bible never says. Thank you. But most people don't know that because they, they grew they up with three, three. Yeah. people, one for each gift. How did Mary get to Bethlehem, Tessa? She rode on a donkey. So like all these things that aren't in the text that we don't know that we have sort of brought into our thinking. Also, <clears throat> just a little <clears throat> secrets here. All the, the, the Bible stories of Jesus' birth only show up in two places, Matthew and Luke. And I forget which one, but one of them doesn't, seem to have Jesus being born in Bethlehem, Hmm. born in Nazareth, where he's from. You know, so it's like, there are these, we, we don't do close readings of the Bible, first of all. Yeah. Most of our information about what's in the Bible comes from these, you know, kitschy pageant type things, which I'm not here to bust on those, but I am saying that when we depend on that, we might end up with bad readings of what's actually in the book that we claim to have a lot of affinities for. And the Christmas pageants, for very good reasons, miss like the inbreaking of the king. Like this is a game-changing moment when sweet little eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus in his ghost manger. Dude's about to change everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it is an inbreaking of cosmic proportions and significance. And quite frankly, I think that should be something that we talk about. Yeah. I mean, it's important. It's, it should, it's not like a... Sh- I don't want to shortchange the story. It doesn't have to be... You know, I'm not saying we do a post-apocalyptic <laughs> Cormac McCarthy-inspired... Though it would be entertaining. It'd be so funny. Yeah. And I know Jack and Shep would love to play roles oh gosh, in a post-apocalyptic so world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, the Christmas pageants don't usually take us there. That's that's the one side. That's, that's the first coming of Jesus that Advent is about. And it's all preparing us for that. But then on the back half, it's stuff like Luke 21. It's also focusing on the the climactic end of the world stuff the apocalyptic images of of judgment um and in in this advent is looking beyond history as fleming rutledge would say to the time of jesus's second coming his return and everything that comes along with that signs in the sun and the moon and the stars distress on the earth the roaring of the seas people fainting from fear and foreboding the powers of heaven being shaken this is difficult because the end of the world stuff is difficult. 
the end of the world is easy. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, I do love the, the Rob Bell quip where, you know, somebody said, what's going to happen after we die? And he responds, I don't know. I haven't died yet. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that uh, chosen agnosticism because we don't know. We've got, we've got the Bible. We've got the, the stories that it tells and, and the, the chart that it is um, providing for us, so to speak. But this thing is embedded in a first century Jewish culture, maybe even beyond that, like in a second temple uh, milieu. Those are big fancy words. Mm. I mean like, so the second temple period, people were beginning to think about resurrection and end of the world and the movement from this present age into the age to come. Like people were thinking about these sorts of things and they were doing it in a very specific way that is lost to many of us, right? So it's difficult for us to make headway on that. So first question here, Tessa, how how do you think, and I don't know if you might have a, an idea here, especially as a, a Catholic growing up, this might be more evangelical in nature, but how have churches or maybe people that you've known discussed the end? I mean, it's always really intense also i don't do they do they really talk about it that much i don't know and this is i was bringing some of this up because in my upbringing and i can i can feel my parents like looking at me crazy like what are you talking about upbringing we didn't talk about this (laughs) it's like okay fine not you but like in my christian school and then especially when i got to bible college Mm -hmm. bible college was very much into discussions on how this was going to happen. And this was a, uh, a traditionally, I'm going to use some jargon, a pre-trib, pre-mill, eschatological. Okay, say other yeah. stuff because so, I don't know what that means. So they're thinking that a rapture will happen mm-hmm. at some point where Jesus will descend, sort of, and we, take up with the followers of Jesus, will go back up mm-hmm. with him. Where are we going, Tessa? To heaven. I don't, yeah, like somewhere <laughs> into the atmosphere, and we're just like hanging out, but our clothes, into the ever-expanding our clothes universe. will fall off and become folded where they lie. Clearly, because we've seen Kirk Cameron's movies, mm. and we know that when the rapture happens, your clothes have to become folded. Because Jesus cares about tidiness. God is a God of order, yes. Tessa. <laughs> Not disorder. <laughs> so, a rapture happens, Christians get out of this place, everybody else is here to fend for themselves Uh and that moment uh that rapture initiates a seven-year period known as the tribulation where all hell is going to break loose like quite literally so if you're reading revelation this is where like the the different the seals are broken and the bowls and the trumpets and all all the crazy stuff that's going to happen it's going to be unleashed and antichrist is going to show up somehow and he's going to like bring the world together. This is why so many people are freaked out about um, like a, a, a shared currency or a one world government because they hear in their heads like, oh, that's end time stuff. 
So maybe Obama is the Antichrist. Like, that's where people go. Oh, my goodness. I just want to go on record here and say, that was an example. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. no, nobody in this room thinks... Of things that other people uh, are, have actually said, probably. That's, that's a real yeah. thing. At, there was a pastor in the Midwest who was actively praying for the death of our former president Jeez. because he believed that Obama was going to be used in this sort of end-timey sort of way. So, I mean, people are absolutely insane when it comes to this kind of stuff. And it and I'm not I'm not saying the, the Bible college people were this crazy, but they definitely had this view of rapture happens, seven year shit storm takes place, mm-hmm. uh, an antichrist shows up. At some point even there's there's a a lot of people think that the Antichrist will be shot and die. Why would they think that? And will be healed from that. Because there's a verse somewhere that talks about like a, a mortal wound being healed but or something to that. But they didn't have guns. Oh, no, no. So so there's nothing about guns. It's oh. just like a mortal wound. Oh, okay. And it's the same as when they, they see imagery of like a bird and they turn it into a helicopter. I mean, <laughs> people, people are trying to update the text, uh-huh. which is also why you have Russia as... Gog and China as Magog, like so. There's again, this is such coded language. What is I know happening? there's such coded language, but people read the Bible and there are these places called Gog and Magog, and they're like, well, maybe Gog is this world empire and Magog is this world empire, and it's all this craziness that people are trying to deduce what's happening. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe most churches don't talk about the end. I've heard a lot of this because of my own very unique background. Like, I remember being in high school and watching a movie called A Thief in the Night. It was made in the late 70s, and it's a rapture movie. And it starts with this guy shaving his face, and then, like, in the next scene... His fold- clothes are folded? Well, he, he's <laughs> gone, but the electric shaver is in the sink just rattling around. Oh, my God. There's another guy, like, who's pushing a lawnmower. Like, he's he's mowing the lawn, and the next scene, the lawnmower's just kind of going. Someone just wanted <laughs> to have all of these Special images. Effects. Yeah. No, this is real. And the, the way that that story, um, Thief in the Night, culminated was, like, uh, martyrdom. People that had become Christians post-rapture were being faced with death from the one world government and they're like facing a firing squad and they won't renounce Jesus and then they I, I believe they die and I'm like 13 like you're like what the what is happening in a post-rapture world oh it gets insane in a post-rapture world because then it's like get this Okay, so people think that at the end of the rapture period, seven years, Armageddon's going to happen. And after Armageddon happens and and Jesus wins, then a thousand-year period of him reigning and ruling takes place. Okay? So some people then begin to wonder really crazy stuff like, okay, let's say at the rapture, I'm— a Christian, you're not. Mm-hmm. I float away, and yeah. my my clothes are folded. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you're still cutting the grass, right? And it over the course of seven years, 
you meet Jesus. Nice mm-hmm. job. Nice job. Thank you. Good job. Good job. <laughs> I tried. And you live out that entire seven-year period without dying, without being martyred. Do you then, this is a real conversation, do you then walk into the thousand-year reign as a person who's able to marry and have children? Or do you... <laughs> do you <laughs> or do you become like pre-rapture me with say like glorified body not marrying not having kids so some people think in the thousand year reign it's like multi-populated by glorified people and you who are still procreating and having babies who they then can decide the babies can decide whether they're going to follow Jesus or whether they're going to go with the satanic figure who is now bound for a thousand years. What is happening? He'll he'll be let out later. He's not done yet. So maybe in fact, they wouldn't say Armageddon happens, but something happens at the end of the seven years that leads into this thousand year reign. That's the pre millennium part. So it's a pre-trib because we're leaving before the tribulation, and it's pre-mill because it's before the thousand-year reign, I think, something like that. Literally all of these options sound (laughs) exhausting. (laughs) Yes! And they're not in the Bible. So where are they coming from? Okay, it's, it's in like very coded, very minimal language. So, for example, in, in the book of Revelation. So people are just using their imaginations. Oh, yes. I mean, Great. and this was, this that that scheme was developed in the late 1800s. Guess where? I don't know. America. Ugh. We love to do damage mm. to the Bible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me see if I can remember this. In, in the book of Revelation, you get the letters to the seven churches early on, right? I think it's like the first three chapters. And then from chapter four on, the church, Tessa, is not present. So when all of the crazy is being unleashed, the church is gone. And also, I think John has ascended to see some vision i'm i'm sorry his clothes folded no 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 like because this whole thing is like a a a vision for him but some people believe that because the church is addressed early and then not included in the rest of the text that they must not be present for the tribulation which Mm -hmm. also is again revelation is very imagery laden very apocalyptic very informed by second temple hermeneutics and ideas. Like it's not meant to be decoded for the future. A lot of other things are happening here, you know? So they take these little nuggets like, oh, well, if the church is here in the beginning and then when all the stuff happens, they're not there, maybe they were raptured. Because there's one passage in First Thessalonians that talks about trumpets blowing and people ascending that's all it's too much it's a lot it's it's a lot so maybe that question there of like how do most churches or most people think about the end maybe i'm just like in my own little cave here and most people don't think about it at all that might that might be fair 
I mean, I feel like churches consider like, what will you be doing when Jesus comes back? I will go on record and say that if you asked most pastors, yeah, especially pastors who are not in a mainline denomination, if you just asked them and said, hey, do you believe in a rapture? They will say yes. Like your evangelical types, your independent Baptist types. I'm just going to go ahead. Now, are they talking about that from the pulpit? Maybe not. Some of them probably are. Maybe the rest of them aren't. But do they believe it? Yeah. I bet they do. Hmm. Which is sort of shocking, maybe. Maybe not shocking, but maybe just kind of disappointing maybe like if if the if the bar of like this is what's expected is for you to think that the church is going to fly away and then seven years of crazy and then a millennium where tessa is popping out babies with (laughs) with other uh post raptured saved people i mean it's just so much i mean crazy it would make sense for why you would try to be Converting people and having an altar call at the end of every service? Partially, yes. I'm not sure if it's the you don't want to get left behind fear as motivation or the you don't want to burn in hell for all eternity fear as motivation. I mean, aren't they kind of the same? Yes. I think the latter's worse, personally. If I'm left behind and... I meet Jesus during that time. Which, and also, wait, they, uh, there's a chapter in, in Thessalonians, I believe it's, uh, I kind of think it's Second Thessalonians 2, but I might be wrong there. A strong delusion, Tessa, will come upon the world. So, in my thinking, that just means this place is jacked. The world is already deluded. Correct. But for their thinking, once the rapture happens, your chances of meeting Jesus go down drastically because there will be this unleashing. It's almost like Jesus takes his people and he takes his ball and he goes home and lets the world eat itself for seven years. So the chances of you and Kirk Cameron coming to know Jesus are very small according to this way of thinking. Just putting that out there. Because in my earlier days, I used to think, oh, cool. I mean, if the rapture happens, then I'll know this is all legit. And then I can just, then I'll decide to really buckle down. Same guy who also thought, well, you know, if I just, if I go to hell, maybe I'll just become real good friends with Satan and then it will be less, uh, less difficult. Oh my goodness. <laughs> do you see what, what bad theology can do to young minds? This is, this <laughs> I'll is just, trauma. I'll be fine either way. I'll just spend for yeah, myself. Just, just hang just out with Satan, whatever. Befriend the right people. Yeah, right. I'll just climb the ladder yeah. in hell yep. and uh, maybe, you know, just kind of oversee things. Does down the there. ladder in hell go downwards? Um, you would think. I think yeah. you would descend the ladder. Just to be very clear <laughs> here, that whole theological approach of rapture, tribulation, millennium, that is a very um, idiosyncratic but also well-adopted view within America. And if there's any question, I personally reject that as as a bad reading of the Bible. It is a bad reading of the Bible. 
any sort of rapture passage that may or may not exist could also very easily be read as a second coming passage where it's just talking about uh, the Son of Man coming on the clouds, peeking through the bookshelves, whatever you want to do. Like it's it's all going to, Jesus is going to come back and restore this place. Which leads to this question. Just that idea, which is pretty historic Christian, Jesus is coming back. People getting ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home. Actually, we'll still just stay here. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be staying here. <laughs> um, do you find that hard to get on board with? I mean, Christian, the idea of a second coming. Christianity. Let's just say this: Christianity, in and of itself, is insane from a rational standpoint. Yes. Every bit of our belief about Jesus as God, living, dying, resurrecting, ascending, (laughs) and then returning is all pretty crazy. Yeah. Okay. So now when you think about the second coming, meaning Jesus returns, how does that rank on the scale of of one to really hard to believe. Are we talking about rational? Just I'm, I'm talking thinking. about you as a person, not like um, I mean, because rationally it's in, it's insane. Sure, it, yeah. there, there's no basis for that whatsoever on an empirical or rational level. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I'm just talking about you, Tessa, as a person. Are you waiting slash hoping slash looking forward to? Jesus peeking through. I don't have a problem with there being... I don't have a problem believing that there's a second coming. I don't know that it's going to look like any of the things that people think it's going to look like. Can Am I, just, I look... What? I got to pop in here because there... Miss Pat was my childhood Sunday school teacher. She was the one that had the the donkey carpet covered donkey on wheels. She was the one that had a literal trailer that she pulled in her astro van full of props and costumes. Like it was insane. But on the back of her navy blue astro van, she had the bumper sticker that said, "Warning: In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned." <laughs> Isn't what? That, isn't that so funny? Was she trying to be funny? No. And Okay, and then... That is funny, though. I ended up at, at seminary with a bunch of pompous jerks um, <laughs> who wanted to let people know that. So in the parking lot of seminary, there was one guy who had a bumper sticker that said, Warning, in case of rapture, the eschatological views of driver will be changed. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, who, what? Who's this for? Oh, what? Right. Who's your audience, what are we doing? sir? Why, 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 do we, why do we do this? Okay, but you, you have no problem, like, thinking that it's a thing. No. Are you, I don't know what it's going to look like. Are you waiting? Are no. you Are you excited? I, mm, <laughs> if it's anything like what the texts say it's going to be like, I'm not... Well, remember, our text isn't as scary as we've made it into. 
Remember it says, but you uh, raise your hands and your heads and get get psyched. What's it? St- <laughs> I don't stand think it says stand that. up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So it's, it's sort of saying like this is a good thing because restoration is finally coming to its fullness. Yeah, but what about the figs and the waves and the Yeah, so I think here there's some thinking like like a separation of the sheep and the goats sort of thinking. It's almost like for the home team, this is going to be good. For the away team, not so much. Which is problematic, but it's home team, Tessa, has nothing to fear according to this sort of thinking. Okay. Okay, yeah. I don't I don't feel like I need to be here for that. <laughs> the crazy, you mean? No. I don't feel like I need to be here for that. Well, see, and I'm not. My own theological views would would call into question, like, is the, what's the crazy even looking like? Remember, because we're embedded, we're in a first century Jewish text, mm-hmm. right? We're talking in language that first century Jewish readers and hearers would understand. That ain't our world. So, what these sorts of Old Testament signs? are actually going to look like might be different than what we read in the text. Now, I know that makes me weird, and some people might be uncomfortable with that, but I'm not entirely sure that we should be anticipating the seas getting angry, as George Costanza would say. The seas were angry that day, my friends. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) When Kramer was hitting golf balls out into the ocean and... George was pretending to be a marine biologist, and he got the golf ball out of a whale's blowhole. <laughs> what? I, I, I think I think that's right. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know what to do with that. I know that there's some churches out there talking in very specific ways about the end and demonizing some of the stuff that's happening. I, I mean, I saw it on Facebook. I told you that. Like, ah, these are signs of the end, and they'll fill in any sort of political item that they deem to be too scary as proof positive Mm -hmm. that Jesus is going to show up at any moment. I'm curious. Let's, let's set that aside because we're, we're not going to crack the code. How do you think most churches deal with the in-between period? So Advent is all about birth of Jesus, the upcoming impending birth of Jesus and the stories surrounding that and the return of Jesus, and we just kind of occupy this middle ground. This, Jesus has showed up, he's changed everything, but not really to its fullness yet, because this world is still difficult, sad, scary um, at times. We still have a lot of brokenness, a, a lot of things that are yet to be restored, how do you think most people deal with that middle ground there? I feel like there's probably a lot of not dealing with it. And I feel like there's probably a lot of just pointing people towards looking toward heaven. Hmm. So that I think that would be good. How do most churches discuss the end as the get out of jail card? that fair like as a as a think about this is where it's all heading so whatever problems we have now we won't have them forever Mm -hmm. we can sort of like 
leap leap the gap into mm-hmm. the good. Yes. Without maybe staring through the massive issues. And don't let me be super cynical here. Like, there's a lot of beauty in the world. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to sell that short. But also, there's there's some stuff that is not cool. <laughs> yes. That the church might do well, ourselves included, to address with some specificity. Yeah. The good news is, this passage doesn't really address the end. Because Jesus talks about all this stuff, and then, but then he turns it all on its, on its head, right? And he says, in light of all of this, so if we're thinking about Advent as occupying the middle ground, Jesus gives us some things to think about while we are occupying the middle ground. And it is not, it is not, okay, what I want you to do is go down into your mom's basement, get out your big butcher paper and a Sharpie, and we're going to plot some points on oil prices and who might be the Antichrist. Right. That's not what's happening. No. He says, be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation. Interesting word <laughs> that I didn't look up. With dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. He's saying, be on guard and make sure that you're not overtaken with all of the concerns of this place. How do you think some people might hear that? Sorry, I was looking up dissipation. What, uh, <laughs> what, what, did you get it? What's it say? Um, the first definition says dissipated li- living, a descent into drunkenness and sexual dissipation. Okay, so that uh, that's probably... Squandering of money, energy, I, or resources. I'd like to see what the differences between the, the Greek terms for dissipation and drunkenness are, but it sounds like there's a lot of... You know, don't don't become so overtaken with the cares of this world, which is including drunkenness, sexiness, <laughs> debauchery. Um, whenever I say debauchery, I feel like yeah, I'm from why, Boston. Why are you saying it like that? I just that? want to stress it: debauchery. <laughs> it's just drunkenness like I'm and watching Law and Order debauchery. or something. <laughs> I, th- I I think people might hear this as. Make sure you're not of the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't get yourself steeped in the culture or what people, the culture is telling you to do. You can't go to Burnish and have a tasty Mm -mm. storm of the bones because Jesus says no. (laughs) No debauchery. No debauchery (laughs) with Josh Revel's tasty coffee beer. You can't be weighed down by that. I, I don't think that's what's happening here. I think Jesus is saying, don't be complacent. So if Advent is about occupying the middle ground, and even within this crazy text, what he seems to be focused on, Jesus that is, is this stuff is going to happen. In fact, in some ways, it's already happening. This generation, remember, JBG would say, this generation, the people who are antagonistic against us, they're here now. They will always be here. They will not cease to exist until I take care of everything at the end, whenever that is. But in the meantime, 
Be on your guard. Don't be complacent. Don't trade in all the things that we're moving toward for the instant gratification of the here and now. And then he says, be alert at all times, praying that you might have the strength to escape all these things that will take place. This, Okay, this, admittedly, this bit is weird. What things, how do we escape? Like a, a rapture person would say, ah, see, we're escaping, we're leaving, we're being removed. I, I don't think that's what's happening here because Jesus is calling us to be um, awake, alert, focused, cognizant of what's happening in front of us and not looking forward to the end. Like I, I said on Sunday, there are these communities of Christians who, after hearing this, I guess, newish theology of rapture and second coming seven years later, um, it it was sort of a rallying cry for them to quit their jobs, leave their homes, and build really terribly constructed shanties that are undoubtedly put in a circle, and they would just move out to the middle of nowhere in this, this community, and they would just wait. Mm, that doesn't sound nice. No. Or wise. No, but it, it proves sort of, I, I don't think that's what Jesus was discussing here, but he was definitely saying, don't do that. I feel like he's just saying not to put too much importance on the things that don't actually matter too much. Yeah. And to remember the things that he says are important, like taking care of each other. And and this, this was a big deal in this time period. Like Paul has to address this a lot. I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers. And it's almost like, in my estimation, Paul or pseudo-Paul, the person who's writing letters as Paul, thinks that Jesus is going to show up pretty soon. You know? Mm -hmm. I think he was sort of misguided in that, but that was that was the idea. And so for these early communities, they might be tempted to think, oh, well, this is all going to be over soon because look at all this stuff that's happening, especially like if Rome is marching on the warpath and destruction is impending, they might hear the signs of the, the sun and the moon and the stars and the roaring of the seas as this is the thing that's going to take place. So they might be tempted to think, that Jesus is going to return and fix everything pretty soon. So there's a temptation to go move off to these cloistered areas and just sit there and stare at the sky and wait for Jesus to descend. Similar, there's a temptation for Harold Camping and his crew to ride around on the highway saying, hey, on October 11th, this is going to be it, or whatever day it was, you know? Yeah. But that misses the point of this passage. It, it misses... Um, the, the focus, the be alert, be ready, don't check out yet is what Jesus seems to be saying. Don't cash in your chips yet because we still got stuff to do, people. So Advent week one, <laughs> Boy. bringing it full circle, we're in the in-between, and we're in the in-between in the same way that the readers of Luke's gospel were. You know, mm -hmm. Jesus death, resurrection, ascension? I, I'm always going to put a question mark on that because I have no freaking clue what in the world this is talking about. Yeah. 
I kind of like the idea of, and again, there's no empirical or rational basis for this, but instead of Jesus floating, stepping through, you know, kind of like the Narnia, he goes mm-hmm. into the closet. I was watching <laughs> the wardrobe. Whatever. I was watching um, Christmas Chronicles last night with Kurt we Russell. Were, yeah, we watched that the other day. We, we're actually on part two now. Yeah. Oh, I watched yeah. that last I watched both of there them you go. yesterday. Whoops. Um, you thought that first one was so good. Yeah, I just got to so keep good. going. How's it going to end? I don't know. Um, but they had sort of like a wormhole thing in that that led to the North Pole. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like that. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I was just thinking for a moment, like, what would happen if I started to preach that? You know? What would happen? Like, in our community, I think people would be like, what are you doing? (laughs) Are you okay? (laughs) Did you go off your meds? What's what's wrong? In other communities, though, I don't know how weird it would be. Because there's other weird stuff that happens. Yeah, that's true. But Jesus seems to be saying, in the in-between... The one that has that has been for quite some time, two thousand ish years. All of life feels kind of like the in between. Yeah, that's I think that's fair. What what I hear from this passage is not go to the basement and start plotting stuff out. What I hear is live as if the end is imminent. But I don't mean the same thing that the people who said that to me when I was a kid meant. Live like you're dying. Live like you would die. Who, who is, is that Tim um, McGraw? Yeah. I went skydiving. I, I went rocky mountain climbing. Okay. Um, that's a good little conductor <laughs> move there. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, it was live as if the end is imminent was code for don't, Look at porn and masturbate because Jesus might show up at any moment. <laughs> and that would be awkward. And that would be like, oopsie daisy. <laughs> you know? Oopsie doops. <laughs> That's it was oopsie. it was a it was a guilt inducer. Yeah. It was a don't let anybody catch you sinning, you sick pervert. <laughs> I, I mean, because it was always it was always the sexy stuff. Poor or children. Like, or like don't you ever think about smoking a cigarette because if Jesus comes back while you're mid-drag, what about that? You're destined for hellfire. That's not at all what I'm meaning here. Mm-hmm. I'm saying don't get don't get caught up in Well, most of that stuff was to stop kids from quote unquote sinning. Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't just for kids. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Like I heard it because our audience was kids. So like these in, like people in a chapel. were actually they thinking they would have said Jesus that to gonna adults. Jesus is going to come back, and I'm going to be smoking a cigarette. Yeah, who do you mean? The I've kids? I've got one hand in my pocket, and the other one is... Smoking a... Is that a line? Smoking a cigarette? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Shout out to Alanis. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean... So they were saying it for everybody. Most kids were like, okay, whatever. I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh-huh. I don't know what the adults were hearing. But the people that were saying it were absolutely using the Bible as, uh, uh, you know. Guilt. Yes. A, a, a guilt inducer. Don't make Jesus sad at you mm-hmm. because of all the gross things that you're doing, mm-hmm. which is not the point. So right. live 
as if the end is imminent to me might mean being alert, cognizant, seeing the things that are of importance around you and not diminishing them because of your hopes to escape, Mm -hmm. you know, not, not throwing people away because you're just going to float off into the ether at some point. Because I think it would be possible to care so much about escaping that you become apathetic because none of this matters. Oh yes. It's, it's the same people who like drive the big trucks and say, it's all going to burn anyway. I think we talked about that last week. Yep. It's your, your theology drives the bus of how you live here and now. And if your theology is escapist, rapture focused, I got to get out of here focused, then who cares about this? And Jesus is saying, nope, mm-mm, no, we're not. That's all going to take care of itself and you're going to be fine. But in the meantime, get your act together. We should do an analysis of the Reliant K song, Be My Escape in the... Oh, I don't want to. Is that gonna song. is that gonna make it bad? No, I don't think so. Okay, I like Reliant K. I do too. Well, there you go, people. Um, Advent week Merry one. Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> the end is near. Uh, live as if it were near. The end is near was a name of a Five Iron Frenzy album. Jeez, we're, these are a lot of <laughs> references here. In the last ten minutes, we've had Tim McGraw, Reliant K, Five Alanis Iron Morissette. Frenzy, Alanis Morissette. So many, so many, and that we do that. We do this for you, uh, yeah. listener. We just want you to make sure you're getting all all the goods. Mm-hmm. And the goods for today are: why don't you think about your views on the end? Maybe your community's views on the end. Maybe for a fun field assignment, ask your pastor what they think about the rapture. Um, and then also, don't be so focused on what's coming that we miss living a focused life in the in-between, which is now, which is leading us into a celebration, the season of Jesus's first coming, which was a world-changing, epoch-shifting, catalyst moment of the kingdom inbreaking into this world. Woo! All right, and if you're around, hang out with us on Thursday on Slack. We're going to watch Vanessa Hudgens times three in the Princess Switch, and the then hashtag Movie Night Therapy thread. There you go. We'll we'll send the Slack link somewhere, and then also um, December 11th, we'll be singing some Christmas songs on the plaza, and drinking some brewskis. Okay, peace, love, <laughs> equality. See ya, people. Bye.